So, just to warn you, I walked out of the house on my notes today, so it's just a preacher in his Bible today. So we're just going to, which I think sometimes is good, right? You know, you spend time in preparation, you fill your heart with the Word, you believe God to encounter hearts, and you give yourself to that place, because my heart, my desire, J-Hop, your desire, all our desires to encounter God here tonight, right? I mean, if you're here to desire, then your desire is to encounter God. Just raise your hand as a sign. I mean, are you guys here? Ready and desiring and wanting. Are we Jesus. hungering and putting it at the forefront? Because you know what? We get so used to sometimes in church services. Like I know I can on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, whatever it is. Coming into a meeting and it just be church. We're going to be there for two hours. We're going to sing some nice songs and make me feel good. <laughs> then we're going to read a couple of scripture out of the Bible. And it's going to be like, ooh, we're going to have some fresh perspective for a couple hours. And then go out and live life, do my job, do my family thing. And, and right, we all can relate to that on some level, right? But I tell you, we need to, on an individual level, before we come into any type of meeting, start to cultivate and allow hunger and desire for God to meet us in these meetings. Because it's the the, the corporate unity that pulls on heaven and and releases and administers what he has for today. This isn't another day in in the book of God. I tell you, the history book of God is open waiting for a company of people that take the pen and write history. Come and guys, on. I don't want to settle for anything left with my house, with my life, my family. Actually, my wife got my, my tooth. I have three kids, two of them, Elijah and Zoe. You guys know, they're, they're five and three. They're real cute. They run around here crazy. And uh, But she brought them to me. Daddy's preaching today. Guys, pray for Daddy. And I just want to pray what Elijah prayed. He didn't pray for me. I was like, come on, man. I'm the one all nervous getting up there and preaching. He's like, Jesus, like, you know, my wife prayed for me, Zoe prayed for me. And then Elijah says, Jesus, I just pray the people would be filled in their house. And I said, oh, yeah, God, he knows your heart. I just want to agree with that, God, we want to be filled. All of us, we want to be filled, Jesus. It's all about you, God. We just agree with that prayer. We want you, God. We don't want another good message that we've heard a hundred times. We want to be encountered by your spirit, Jesus. We want to be made alive, God. I want callings to to come alive, keys to be turned in hearts today, God. Perspectives to be shifted. And God, our heart and our desire and urgency and hunger and passion. All just to awaken at the preaching of your words. Father, we don't we thank you. We don't need to ask for your anointing. Your word is anointed. It's anointed to break the yoke and it's anointed to free people from captivity, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We desire to do nothing here today except portray your heart. So, Father, I just, you help me by leaving my notes back. But God, I I agree with it, God. Anything, I I just surrender it, God. I want your ways. I want your desire. We all all want it, God. We want what you have for us, Jesus. Encounter hearts here today. Come on, we're praying community. It's it's okay to pray, right? I'm going to pray some more. Father, we just ask, God. God, that every hindrance to your word, God, in this place would be lifted. Father, we just take authority right now in the name of Jesus to everything that would try to cap ears or cap eyes or hearts to the understanding of who you are. Father, we ask for a breaker anointing to rest in this place, God, that hearts would be awakened. God, my heart needs you. God, we need to encounter you afresh and anew. God, we're just hungry for you. And we just bless you. We love you. And again and again, God, we say it's about you. And we just say, use this time, this little time that we have, God. Yes. Come, God. Yes. Thank you. Amen. 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 Woo! It's good. On. Sorry, I get excited when <laughs> I preach. On, when we start to touch Jesus, you know what? All these things that get so magnified in our life can easily become so small, right? Circumstances get so large because we give them so much focus. 
And whatever we give our heart to, whatever we give our thoughts to, you know what? That's what you'll be given over to. It says if you, if you live by the flesh, you'll, you'll, you'll live by the flesh. If you, if you feed the Spirit, you'll live by the Spirit. Your sons and daughters, and that God desires for you to walk in the Spirit. Excuse me. And I just want to, just before I even get started here, I just, so often um, that I come into Jayhawk, I get overwhelmed with a sense of what God's doing uh, with this community. God's desire with the people that join here and have joined with the vision and that are hungering for God for a move of His Spirit in New England, in Boston, in this region. I believe that God draws revivalists here. God draws that, that those who have just joined and married themselves to that Nazarite call of separation, wholeheartedness. And I know we're all on a certain level in our journey towards that. We, we want God. We desire God. We have our things that try to hinder and stand in the way of that. But I, I believe something here. You know, I was a part of a ministry about 10 years ago that every Sunday we went to a different church and, and, and we did a, like a testimony and, and worship um, ministry at a church. And what that allowed me to see is literally over two years I got to see over 100 churches in the, just the little compact New England area. So I really got to see the, the, the spiritual dynamic that's taking place and prevailing over the churches of New England. I really got to be exposed in my early Christian walk to the, the level of hunger, the level of desire, the level of maturity um, that the churches in New England are carrying. And when I came to this house, I've known um, Bethany, his wife, and Daryl for a while, but I've known his wife since we were little, our parents... And, and there was always something about her that was just going after God hard. And I tell you, I was part of a, a church that was doing a lot of good stuff up in New Hampshire. And then there was a transition taking place a couple uh, years ago. And we started to attending meetings down here. And I'll tell you that there's something so valuable that I've not seen at the same capacity any other church. We're in small beginnings, the humble start. Yeah. But I tell you, there's a raw devotion, there's a raw hunger that's coming out of this place that God's eyes are settling upon. I believe that full-heartedly that God is looking for a company of people in New England, in every region, in every town, every state. He's looking for your heart on an individual level as well to be fully devoted, fully given over. You know, God, as Christians, did not call us to a 10% or 20% Walk in life, and I know that's like the obvious thing, you know, it's like God died. What's Leonard Gravenhill's statement, Jordan? What's he say on his gravesite? Oh, his gravestone says, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Mm-hmm. And I, anybody know who IHOP is? And National House of Prayer, not the pancake place? <laughs> it's an amazing uh, ministry that's been going on for the last, I think, 12, 13 years. And right now, they're facilitating uh, 24-7. Uh, worship and prayer going on. And this is just a, a glimpse of a worldwide scale of an initiative that's come and been birthed, not from the intentions of man, but from the heart of God. Of God no longer wanting man to rest in his own... This is the age-old cycle, right? God longing for men and women to trust and depend on Him. Right? To, to do every aspect of their life out of the place of devotion and wholeheartedness, the place of prayer... And that's why it's so monumental right now, I believe, this type of ministry, house of prayer type of reality taking place on a corporate level, is that it's agreeing with God that apart from you, God, there is no breakthrough, God. Our, 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 our little programs and our agendas and all our resources as the American church and so much available to us to do so much. 
You know, we know Heidi Baker, she's a powerful evangelist in Mozambique, Africa, one of the poorest places in the world. And she said, it's amazing to me, she went to a mega church, she's seeing people raised from the dead. I know that must, might mess with your head a little bit, but she's seeing people healed. She had cerebral palsy, she could barely walk, people knew her. She one day came back to a conference at the United States and her whole body was completely healed, 100%. She said, these kids, these orphan kids that I'm ministering to one day, just started stuffing my hand, head in the sand. And like all praying in tongues, a hundred of them. And then all of a sudden I got up and I was completely healed. From barely being able to walk in a moment to being a hundred percent healed. So she's seeing power being demonstrated in her midst. She said, she came to a conference, she said, it's amazing to me what the American church can do without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> mega church, you know, I don't know, how many are in these mega churches? 20,000 people? Stadium filled with people. Not that there's not genuine hearts. Not that there's not hunger or people being saved. She's talking about a maturity level. People that are walking their life in a full dependence and reliance on the power of God to, to, to move in their society. Rather than never asking God what He wants to do. But always just strategizing the business way. And, and I just love the heart that we hear from Daryl and Bethany constantly. Love you guys, really. Honored to, to, to have you guys in the city of Boston and New England. Amen. I just... We're going to start. We're going to read out of Numbers 13. Thanks for letting me rant there for a minute. There'll probably be some more ranting since I have notes, you know. Just, <laughs> just go, but let's, let's keep our hearts trying to stay on track with me. People have their Bibles, smartphones, anything with the scripture in it? <laughs> King James, we don't allow past the door. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, that's a joke. God's Word. God's Word. Numbers, it's in the Old Testament, a couple books in. Chapter 13. This is a follow-up, Daryl preached a couple weeks ago, a message that so stirred me. He talked about Moses. Have we heard about Moses? I make you raise your hands because I want to see who's listening to me. <laughs> and also, if you don't raise your hand, I'm judging you. <laughs> Just kidding. But seriously. Uh, Moses. Moses was a man that God used to deliver people out of Egypt. Captivity. Uh, people were enslaved by an empire that was taking place in the world called Egypt. And it was God's people and they were at this place and, and they were being forced to uh, labor all day long and through an incredible set of events, of miraculous events, God came and he took this people out of this land and um, took them on a journey into a land called the Promised Land. And the Promised Land was a place that the word they used was cool. It was, called, uh, it was flowing with, excuse me, flowing with milk and honey. And it's just this idea that there was incredible provision in this land. There was incredible cult, uh, uh, environment uh, for of people to flourish, to go to. And what's amazing, it was like 250 miles away. It was like a 30-day walk from Egypt to the Promised Land. And they're like, they don't know where the Promised Land is yet, but they know God's leading them. They actually had a pillar of fire, a big thing of fire leading them. I mean, and then a, and a cloud that protected them by night, so that they, uh, by day, so that nobody knew where they were going. There was armies coming after them. And and God was so after Israel, his people. And I love what was depicted in Daryl's message. One of the aspects was God was so, we, we realized that this 30-day journey took 40 years for people to get, for the Israelites, God's people, to get to the border of the promised land. 
Imagine that. Why did God bring His people such the roundabout way? I mean, come on, these people, do they not have any sense of a direction? You know, I know they were in captivity, but did they, did they not see the same cactus bush time and time again? I mean, there's only so much desert in that area. Good point, man. Come on, Great son. Point, man. I know camels look alike, but man, it looks familiar. All right, uh, I'll try to keep it serious. Uh, so they were walking around the desert for 40 years, and time and time again, God was being tested by these people. The reality is, is God was testing the people, but they kept testing God in response. Rather than the fruitfulness God was desiring from their life to bring about through all the things that they were facing, these people kept, it says 11 times in this 40-year period, the whole lot of them, it came up to like 600,000, I think the number was at the end, that they just kept complaining and murmuring. Oh, is not God forced to take us out in the desert to, to, to thirst? And so Moses hit the rock, water shot out, and everybody drank. And then again, hit the rock, water shot out, and everybody drank again. Then they were saying, oh, we, we want meat. You know, we don't want just these little pieces of bread falling from the sky. Like, God, can't you do more? And then all of a sudden, Jesus, God, if you read it in, in uh, Deuter Deuteronomy, it's amazing. God actually says these words. He says, I will give them so much meat, it will come out their nostrils. He was so mad. He said he was infuriated that these people were so bucking against the provision and the desire that he had for them to come into something that all they ever resorted to time and time again was complaining and bickering and murmuring and saying, wouldn't it be better if we went to Egypt? Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Imagine now, let's relate it to our own lives because, you know, it's no point just talking about history if we can't apply it here. So we, we are in our own lives... God's desiring to bring us to something. You know, it says there's deep and hidden treasures found in God. There's things that God desires. It says his eyes are searching to and forth in the earth, looking for hearts that are completely his so that he can what? Sow himself strong in their behalf. He desires to demonstrate his power through people. He desires to partner with people. He desires to walk with people through life. But more so than even the promise that he has, I mean... People here, I'm sure some of us can identify some prophetic words, some promises that we feel like, God's going to give me a husband. <laughs> right? Come on. Is that Amen. not a promise? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on, ladies. Yeah. Wife. And God's going to give me a wife. Amen. For all you don't. Yeah, I know. Right? Um, God's going to give me a house. He's going to cause me to settle. I've been traveling around the last six years trying to find a place to, to settle. Right? Amen. That's Amen. me. Amen. Come on. I'm just saying, we have things in our heart that we identify with, that God, we feel like, has promised us that we're looking to. And there's always a process we can see through history of God taking us into this, because there's a level of stewardship that is needed when we come into greater level of maturity of God giving us more to handle. So, God is so wise. He It's so simple, but it's so wise that he doesn't want to, it's basically like a story. My nephew, he was turning eight years old in church. I looked over to him and I saw him staring at this soda machine at church up in Wyndham, New Hampshire. And I walked over to him and I pulled out 20 bucks and I said, hey, happy birthday, Ian. He's like seven years old. He grabs the 20 and starts running to the machine to throw it in the dollar machine. I was like, whoa, Ian, you don't want to do that. If you just wait a little bit, 
You can go to the store and you can get 20 sodas, or you can get a 20 different things. You know, go to the dollar store, the place is awesome, you can get, you know, kids love it, you get anything you want over there, you fill your pockets. And nope, that's okay, I want one soda right now. And all of a sudden, obviously this thing started transpiring in my mind, this is exactly what God, God wants to give us valuable things. But there has to be a level of steward so it's not squandered. Right there, There's promises of wells of revival in the New England area. There's promises of the glory of God encompassing this area and then a student volunteer mission movement being accelerated through the Boston area into the earth. There's promises and prophetic words from, from men and women that have labored their whole life that have come into this region and have believed that God has spoken that again out of this place another great awakening will transpire. One great prophetic voice was in an airplane. He fell asleep. He knew he was over New England. And in the dream, he saw a, a book opened up before him, had dust over it. He said, Holy Spirit, what's this book? And the Holy Spirit said, these are the chronicles of revivals and awakenings that have happened in New England. And he looked at the page and he said, Lord, there's dust all over the page. And all of a sudden, the page flipped over, all the dust flew, and the pen stood up like this. And he said, and the Lord said to him, the pen will write again. And I'm telling you that God is, is, is looking for a people that are willing to labor into this place. He's not, not looking to squander His glory. He's looking for partnership, maturity. He's looking for hearts that are willing to go to the place of the deep and hidden treasures of God it talks about in 1 Corinthians. And it's process. And that's what always taking place with the Israelites all throughout that whole process of going into the uh, promised land. That time and time again he tested them and, and, and they built an idol because Moses left for a while. And then he tested them and then they wanted food. So he had turkey spewing out their nose. And then he wanted, uh, they wanted bread and then they wanted water. And then the sea was parted. And we understand, in our mind we're thinking, man, are these people stupid? I know sometimes I think that. Like, what were they thinking? They walked through. I know it's a story to us, so it's like, oh, that's a great biblical story. But literally, they were walking up to water. Moses raised up a stick. They're probably like, what is he doing? He's looking at the water, holding the stick up over the edge of the water. I know, God, please. I believe you said this. like, this guy's loony. What were we doing? And then all of a sudden, the water parted. The water parted. <laughs> the water parted. All these people, as soon as they carried through to the other side... The water smashed on the one of the greatest armies in the earth of that day and wiped it out. Come on, that's a good word. Why couldn't have that been the one miracle that sustained them through that whole process through the desert? Why aren't these things where we have these heightened moments in our life where God so, shows up so strong and so intimate and provides or breaks through or a relationship gets mended or, or an answer come, comes and then we get excited for a few days, but then all of a sudden we're right back two days later doubting and complaining. Maybe it's not out loud. Maybe you're, you're better than hiding it than, than some of us. Um, but, you, you know, you're thinking about it all the time. Yeah. I know I say it because we, I go through it. We all go through it. This isn't something that's uncommon to all of us. It's, it's something the value is to identify it so it can be dealt with properly rather than seeing it and never getting over it and just continue to walk through a desert. God, I believe, and this is a serious one. I know we laugh, but God, I believe. This was on my heart before I came here. God, I believe that you said you were going to give me a husband. God, I believe you said that. And I've had moments of faith, and I have moments of, of where, you, where I believe so strong you said it was happening. And I was so full of faith. And God's like, I did say it, daughter. I did, it's yours. It's yours. Walk with me. Trust me. You can find contentment and rest in me. This is for somebody here. I know it is. Come on. It is. 
Walk with me. You can trust me. You know that longing, that desire? I'll satisfy it. But I get good gifts too. There's rewards too. Come on, wherever this applies, guys, apply it. God wants good gifts for you. But it's in timing. It's, it's in process. And there's so much value that we see in this. But I tell you, there's also a danger too in walking in habitual cycles with the Lord. And that's what we're going to see today in, 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 in Numbers 13. I'm going to actually just read a couple names here. This is going to be a show of hand thing, so get ready. Uh, hold on one second. Oh, this is the tough Bible to read it from because it's like a genealogy and it says their father, grandfather, and kid's name next to it. So I was like, which one is it? <laughs> Basically what happened was... <laughs> no, I'm still going to read their names because it's a point I'm trying to make. And these were the names that basically God came to Moses one last time and said, listen, they finally got to the edge of Cana, the promised land, land Canaan. And um, God spoke to Moses and said, I want you to appoint a leader from every tribe, right? Uh, from the tribes of Israel. So these weren't just a random person out of... Um, these tribes, these were people that had been walking that 40 years, not only just walking up, but lead, bringing leadership over their communities. I want you to bring a leader from every tribe, and we're going to bring 12 together, and we're going to send them in for 40 days into the, into the promised land for a report. We're going to look for a report. And these were the names. The first name, who's heard of Shamua? I know if you've been to Disney World, Shamu. <laughs> it's not that guy. Shamua. Shaphat, I know we haven't heard of that guy. Egal. Palti. Gadiel. Gadi. I know it's fun. it's weird. <laughs> Emil. And Sether. And Nabi. And Ghoul. These were the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. There's two other men. Do we know who these two men were? Caleb and Joshua. Thank God they used easy names. He's so nice. I mean, come on. Out of all those names, it's just like, and one of them wasn't easy. And Moses like, I'm going to change that name to Joshua. <laughs> That's going to be a problem down the line. <laughs> We're talking about 10 people getting the same opportunity from God to do something. And two of them, their legacy has lasted to this day. 4,000 years. 5,000 years. You got, you got 10 people that you're hoping to forget their name. And then you got two people that have not only lasted... Because you remember their name, but they put lasting imprints on generations that lasted for 5,000 years. Good word. And there's opportunities, likewise, to the people of God in this day, constantly. Who wants it? I want to pour out my spirit. I want revival. All these promises are yes and amen. Who wants it? It's not a yes here tonight, just tonight. It's a, it's a posture. It's a cultivation. It's not perfection. It's a motivation, it's, it's a focus, a direction in your life that you're continually going after. Who wants me? 
deep in hidden, hidden treasures, God of the impossible. So as Moses sent them out to spy the land of Canaan, and said to them, go up there into Negev, and then go up to the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or is it bad? And how are the cities in which they live? And they, are, are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make, make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. At that time, the first grapes were ripe. This wasn't just some good idea or like, hey, Moses, like, all right, God, we'll do it. All right, I'll do these things. Jesus, God knew, God the Father knew exactly what he was doing when he called these to himself. He had been through a long journey with a people, continually, unrelentingly giving himself, not holding back to people. Two times that he wanted to completely wipe them out, like Daryl preached about. Moses stood in the gap and says, your name among all these other nations that are looking on basically to these people that you delivered out of one of the most strongest, um, um, the, the, the Egyptians, people are going to watch this and your name's not going to be made great. And God said, I'll make my name great through your line. I mean, think of that. Through Moses. I'll start over through you. Moses. He said, it says in, in Numbers and in Deuteronomy, he was the most humble man in all the earth. You know who wrote Numbers and Deuteronomy? Moses. You've got to be a humble man to say you're the most humble man in all the earth. Either that or he slipped in that one verse. And God was like, all right, well, let us slide. Good one, Moses. Awesome. <laughs> Shouldn't have put it past you. <laughs> Moses, it like prefaces, is like, I read that. I was like, man, didn't Moses write it? <laughs> Why didn't Moses write this? It's so weird. God. So he was a humble man. We just got to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. That's awesome. Love it. So we knew God was testing them. He knew the outcome. You know, God knows the end from the beginning. He knew what was happening, but he, he was doing something. He was purging his people. He was consecrating a people. He was looking for a remnant, and there's always a remnant. God will always have a remnant. He has a plan, and he's saying, who, who's going to want it? Who wants to go after this thing? And we all, like, like we'll see, we all struggle, but there is, there's a heart posture that God's looking for, and there will come a day where he will divide sheep from goats. All right? We all can make professions. It's a, it's a reality in God. We can make professions day in and day out. But if we don't live what we preach, then, then there's a judgment that God will put on the heart. I'm not saying messing up or, or, or sinning or living a perfect life. I'm saying habitual throughout the course of your whole life. This was a whole generation that lived out in the deserts. And unfortunately, they only learned from their parents. All that their parents did. What did they do? Complain and, and murmur. So these guys go in there, and so, so they went out, they spat out the land, they got some big grapes, they put it between two guys, then they, then they came to the Valley Eshkol from where they cut down branches of grapes, carried them. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live there are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 
Amalek is living in the land too, and the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means, because he saw where they were going. They were telling the truth. Oh, somebody trying to get in, locked out, staring through the window. It's all right. Weird. They were, they were telling the truth. They were giving their report. At this point, nothing was necessarily out of the ordinary. Moses says, I see where this is going. They said one good thing about the land and then followed it by 15 things. This is the same thing I've seen my whole life. All my brothers, all my cousins and uncles, all they do is complain and murmur. All they do is look at the negative in things. All they do is just... Cultivate this focus of negativity. Pity. Oh, this is so hard for us. Why did God take us out here? We were better in captivity. This is like you. I was better in the world. My friends were more loyal. I was better when I was out doing all the things that I used to do. Listen, I used to be a drug addict. You know, I was part of a program, Teen Challenge. Any of you guys know Teen Challenge? You got guys saying, man, this program is ridiculous. It was like really structured really uh, intense discipleship. Basically, people, a lot of people do drugs because they've got authority issues. So they go after that. And it hurts. But there's fruit if you give yourself to it. And, um, but you heard people saying, man, why did I come here? They wake me up at 5 o'clock. i got to stay. i got to wake up. To leave my room, i got to pray. And then when we get to breakfast, you got to pray before breakfast. When you end breakfast, you got to pray to leave. And then when you go do dishes, you have to pray before you start dishes. And then when everybody's finished doing dishes, you got to pray again. And then when you go to the learning center, to do learning center, everybody prays up to get going. And then when you finish learning center, you pray up to finish. And then when you, yeah, they were teaching one of the most valuable things. You know what happened to me? Thank God for the grace of God, because I had a lot of people praying for me, and I attribute to that. There was a division that was taking place because of this type of structure. People that were just going through the motions because it was like a jail sentence. It was like a bid they were doing. They knew if they went there, the court wouldn't hold over their head the crime they did. And then you got people that are encountering God in that place. Maybe even started like that. Like, I'm just going to get through this 15 months. And then you got people who, um, that God was encountering and they were getting waking up to the spirit of prayer, to the idea of going after God. And all this prayer started cultivating me and this group of friends like, oh my God, God is real. I mean, my parents told me my whole life God was real. I heard the stories, but it was like, hey, good stories. But no, God's on a throne. His presence is here right now. He's filling us up. I no longer have depression. I no longer want to kill myself. I don't want to go smoke crack. I don't want to go do all these things. I don't mean to be graphic, you know. But I don't want to give my life to so many of these other things that I gave my life to anymore. God, you're alive. Your word says you're coming back for people. God, I want to be ready. It says that the ten virgins... Some had oil and some didn't. God, I need to have oil. What's your word say, God? And it producing hunger. And then in the other side, it was producing like, we used to be told all the time, be careful who you're with. I know it's just like, just like the world. You know, your friends and teen challenge. You've got you to gotta make sure you're putting yourself around the right people because there's people there that are just, you know, man, can you believe this guy said this? Just constantly trying to bombard your idea of God. Bombard your idea of authority. The wholeness and... And, and healing that God was doing. And, and, and that's what God's purpose will always do. It will separate. It will be, like Paul says, life to some. The gospel will be life to some. And it will be death to others. It will awaken some and it will turn others off. God desires all men to be saved. 
but it's choice. And um, I know there was a purpose, and I'm, I'm thinking of why I went there with it, but... Um, Basically, what was happening was people, oh, the whole thing with Teen Challenge was people would say, going back to either going back to the old life, I was better off, you know, uh, you know, I was homeless. I mean, it wasn't better off for me. I mean, I was sleeping outside and, you know, not, never, you know, have taken a shower for two weeks and, and, you know, just a complete wreck stealing from people. Um, but people would say, you know, I was better off doing what I used to do and, and not having, cultivating an appreciation for God, for what he did for us, but always looking to something else, like always trying to be content, found in so many other things that they looked to be content for and for so long in their life. And it was hard to break out that mold. And subtly as Christians, it's the same thing for us. I want to sympathize with it. It's what I'm trying to do is that I know that the tendency initially is, is wanting to um, cause us to, to, to look at the problems in life. And a lot of times we learn that from people around us or we learn that from circumstances. Things are hard. So we look at all the negativity around us and it's hard to get into the place where we're saying, we trust you, God. Even when everything else isn't making sense, God, I'm going to trust you because your word says it. Like real faith, you know, not like imaginary or like, I was excited that day, so I said it. But the real, the concrete stuff in us. Then Caleb quieted the people, when Mo and Moses said, we should, before Moses, and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Basically, the word of God. You know what God even said earlier and when he first took them out of Egypt? He said, Moses, I'm going to take those people up. They're not even going to lift a sword. I'm going to send hornets. I'm going to send confusion on these other armies. They're going to go into the, new, the promised land. And they're not even going to have to do anything. It's going to be by faith. And I'm going to overcome the enemies of that land. Powerful. They ended up having to go to war and different things because of their measure of faith, believing what God said he would do for them. God, for some reason in wisdom, limits himself to our faith and what we're calling on him to do. Does that rest uneasy with some of us? That God's not going to override your... I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. All right, this day, God, one for ten. God, you know, I want your ways. I want your ways. Then the next day, it's like, oh, my God, you know, i gotta, I got to do something. i got to go make this happen or do this. So Caleb, a man, it goes on to say, a man with a different spirit. Somehow grew up in the same culture, grew up hearing the same murmuring, complaining. Mm. He quieted people. He was a contrary verse. 600,000 people listening. Mm. We should by all means go up and take possession for we will overcome it. But the men who had gone with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. We also saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, as the part of Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were the same in their sight. Basically, the way we viewed it, our carnal focus, our carnal perspective of our situation, is what we're seeing based off of what God has said to be true, or off the way we're viewing it. Like them. We seem like grasshoppers in our own size. I seem like, God, you're not for me in my own eyes. Circumstances are saying you're far from me, God. But what are you going to choose to say? God, you're good. God, you're committed. You're faithful to see it to completion. God, I don't... You know what? I'm tired of telling you how big my problems are. It's telling you... What did my brother say? I love how he says. He's like... He's like 
you know, it's not about telling God how big your problems are, but it's about telling your problems how big your God is. It's like a mindset shift. And I'm like, come on, there's power in that. It's about thinking differently. It's about changing how you're viewing. It takes time. It takes cultivation. It takes death to self, which, which hurts, which isn't fun. God's for you, but He wants your heart. He's more concerned with your heart than He is the husband. You know that? He's more concerned with your heart than the promise that He wants to bring you to. It's amazing, because God has an agenda. Patient. God has an agenda. It sounds hardcore, but He does. He's raising up an army. There's a remnant saying yes to Him. Are you going to be one? Are you going to be a different spirit? than those around you in your workplace that are constantly saying negativity. How about this lady? And how about this guy? And how about this person? Can you believe that? And they gossip. They weren't, they weren't killing people. They weren't, there wasn't incredible sexual immorality going on. They were murdering, complaining. They were backbiting, slandering. I mean, it, it seems small because we get dealt with it. I get dealt with it, so it seems small because it happens subtly at times. And then I catch myself. I'm like, oh, what am I doing? It's not dealt to God. It's not small to God. He says it's counted with those who kill innocent blood. That's what it says in Proverbs. The seven abominations. Those who slander and backbite. Numbered with those who kill innocent people. So not small to God. So let's keep a bridle on our tongues. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. All, this, like, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would that, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They totally lost perspective of what God said he was going to do. Our wives, our little ones become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Let, so they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly and congregations of the sons of Israel, 600,000 of them. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the son of Israel, saying, The land which we have passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, you know, in the early one, Caleb said, we should, by all means, go up. We'll take possession, and we will overcome it. Now he's changing it a little bit. Well, I want you to note that. After they had all rebelled against God, again, he says, the land that we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land to give it to us. He's like, I don't know what you guys are thinking, testing God again. Have we not learned? A land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will, they will be our prey. He doesn't say they're small. He doesn't deny that they're big. He just says, that's not my focus. God said it so we can do it. Yeah, it's not about circumstances. It's not about how it looks. It's about what God says he can do. God said I'm a son by faith alone, not by works. I can't earn this. I know that my life feels so ridiculous that I'm falling short every day. You know what? The Word says I'm a son. I'm, I'm picking myself up. You know, New Year's resolutions. I grew up in a church, you know, one year, you know, every year. Okay, guys, it's the Sunday before New Year's, so it went out of style. And then they would, all this message came in. It was like, you know, it's not about New Year's resolutions. You know, it's, it's about a life committed to God. I tell you, it is about resolutions every day. 
That's what God's all about. Second chances. He's looking for a heart. I mean, think of King David. Jesus came through his line. Guy committed murder, committed adultery. I mean, it was a total mess up. And it says that his throne will be established in heaven forever. It says he has a heart that was sold out to God and completely after him. Oh, God wants us. God sees frailty and weakness and still chooses to love us. But it's the posture. Are we approaching casually the sins in our life or the errors in our life or the, the problems in our life? Are we just passively, casually saying, you know what? God's a forgiving God and I can watch this movie. I know it's got 14 GDs and, and three F-bombs and, and everything else and it's got that, I'll, I'll turn my head on the sex scene. And You know what? What are we, what are we giving our hearts to? It's not issue-oriented. It's that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a day we're going to stand before Him, right? The fiery eyes of God. It's an exciting thing. But you know what? He's going to judge the motives of our heart. 80 years is going to seem so little, guys, on that day. Drop. Drop in the bucket. Drop in the seashore, right, Alan? Drop in the seashore. Sand as far as you can see. That's our life. One little granule of 80 years. We're going to stand before Him. What are you giving your life to? What am I giving my life to? It's not like... That means I have to, 10 hours a day, go stand on the street corner and preach Jesus either. I mean, this is, not, this is not about putting unrealistic expectations on our life and saying, this is the idealistic Christian, being full-time ministry, or being full-time this, or full-time that. It's not about that. It's about your heart. God wants your heart. Amen. He wants your heart in your workplace. He wants you to be a fragrant offering to people that you're around. Amen. Though they may never read the Bible, let them see your life and know Jesus. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. That's what God said earlier when they first got taken out. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to the stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to the sons of Israel. Thank God, I'm sure they were like, shoot. (laughs) Stephen, you know, pre-Stephen, Marty with stones for trying to stand true. They knew. This wasn't like all of a sudden these people were mad all of a sudden after he said that. They were hostile. This was a process that was going on. 600,000 people in an uproar. And then all of a sudden he decides to like do one last little stamp on what they were saying. Which I'm sure in his heart he's like, if I say this, I'm probably going to get killed. Because these people are angry right now. But he decided to say it. Whoa. It goes on in Numbers 14. I know what time is it. You know, five. It goes on in Numbers 14. It says about Caleb and Joshua. They were men with different spirits. They grew up in the same culture. They grew up with the same surroundings as people. The same ability to fall into bad mindsets. Right? All the things that we say, woe is me about, they had as well. But they cultivated. It wasn't magical. They didn't get born with it. Some like amazing ability to look past the hardship and be gung-ho for Jesus. I tell you, it's like my heart's like Daryl's, like yours, like yours, 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 yours. It's cultivated. It's through death to self. Choosing not to see with our eyes of flesh, but choosing to believe that God's word is yes and amen, that it's true. Choosing. I know it seems too simple. It's such a hard reality to walk out, but the truth is simple. That there is a choice that we have daily 
to take the thoughts captive in our mind. When things start to spiral, you know, the temptation in thought process isn't even necessarily bad. It's when you recognize it's bad and keep going with it. It says he's going to judge on that day the intents of your mind and heart. It's not even going to be your action. It's what was motivating your actions. So he's saying, give it to me. Live for me. Does that make sense? And I just want to go on to some practicals about having and being a people of a different spirit. I believe that it's like what happened with Israelites. They went in. It, because of what happened here, they, God took them for 40 years back into the desert. And that whole generation died off except Caleb and Joshua. Because of unbelief and doubt. Doesn't sound like the God I hear about often. You know? That God would ever do something like that. But I believe that there is a place in God where there's a dividing line. At some point, that takes place. If you give your life over to habitual mindsets, habitual sins, habitual, habitual processes in, that your heart and mind go through concerning circumstances, even though you might approach them um, with the Christianese type saying of like, you know, okay, I'm just trying to clearly portray this. Like my heart's gone through times where, you know, a real casual approach to struggles in my life, to sin in my life. Really casually approaching places in my life where I was just having an unbridled time. And, and saying God loves me and moving on. You know what? I'm saved. And you might be saved. You might, you know, just get in. Like you said, like just barely by the, the seat of your pants, it says in Corinthians, you're going to get in. Your pants might be a little singed by the fire. Right? So he says, everything's going to be burned up with hay stubble. Precious stones remain. But you'll get in. But regret isn't a bad thing. It can be a bad thing. But it isn't a bad thing if you use it. I'm not going around that mountain again, God. This isn't just some declaration and then going back at it. It's making the hard choice tomorrow. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I tell you, when you feed your spirit and deny the flesh, it will get easier. That's a promise. It will get easier. You'll have moments of heightened temptation and struggle, but it gets easier. It gets easier. It seems impossible at times. I did not want to watch that. I did not want to do that. I did not want to say that. Get your heart right. Be like David. Be after God. God, I don't want to live like this. Be real with him. He will change your desires. He will change your heart. And He will bring you into completion. To what level? That's up to you. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for faith, and partnership, and submission to the leading of His Holy Spirit. That will cultivate a different spirit that will be recognizable. I want to be on my deathbed at 80 years old where I have lived a life that I'm proud of. Because I know I'm going to see him. I mean, we, it's, it's, a, it's a hard reality. It's, a, it's an awesome one to meditate on. It's one of my life things where I meditate. There's a day coming we're going to stand before the eyes of Jesus. That's an exciting thing to me, but it's also a fear reverent thing where I say, my choices need to be governed by this reality. My thoughts and my words, my relationships. If you've got a boyfriend, a girlfriend, my relationships need to... My alone time needs to be governed by this. 
when nobody's seeing, when nobody's knowing, when it doesn't matter if I put on a front or not, God's still seeing me. God wants you to live out of the place of knowing that you're a son, that you're a temple, and that you'll live with him forever. It's, it's doable because God's power is available through faith and posturing your heart that way. It's not always about picking an apple and throwing it when the temptation comes. Your arm's going to get tired. Sooner or later, it's going to catch you at a bad time when you're real hungry and you're going to take a bite. God's saying, kill it. Cut the tree down. Take the roots out. Okay, can we get some worship here? I just want to uh, end with any type of response you feel in your heart to this where... Whether it's just a fresh thing and commitment to God and a fresh insight perspective going into this new year where we say, God, I want to have that different spirit. I don't want to just walk life and just aimlessly and, and not doing anything with myself. I don't want to just habitually go around these mountains. God, I want to see like you see. I want to, I want to act like you want me to act. I want to have the fear of the Lord governing my heart again. Like when I first got saved, every little thing pricked my heart. Oh, the Holy Spirit did not like that. I don't know why now I can see the same thing and say, oh, that's alright. I walk down the road and hear that same swear word. What can I do? You cannot subject yourself to it. There's more to life. And when you start to encounter God on this level where you're denying this, it's not just about saying no to stuff. It's about saying yes to something so much greater. And when you start to encounter Him in this place, all of a sudden, your heart becomes alive. It's so satisfied, so fulfilled. Oh, God, I was missing this. It's like me, the, just, just recently, flicking through the TV. You know, I started with a football game, then it's over, and I'm just lazy. I don't want to work a hard week. It's just like I want to veg out and just... I just kept feeling the pulling of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. Spend some time with me. Everybody's in bed. The kids are quiet. The wife's asleep. Get the guitar. Come on, I love you, Noah. Just spend time. And I'm like, oh, I love you too, Jesus. <laughs> I can do this. I'll turn the volume down a little. Oh, Jesus, I love you. What's the score to that game? <laughs> it's true. And then, and unfortunately, there's many times where I just, just kind of push it away. Because I know God will be there tomorrow. That's my mindset. Like, he'll be there tomorrow. It's amazing God puts up with that. But then, if you give your heart to it, not every time do you get such a dramatic experience, but sometimes, all of a sudden, the first word out of your mouth to him, there's invasion of his spirit, fulfillment in your heart, breaking off of just depression, and you just realize, man, what was I, what was I waiting for, God? You're so good, you're alive. You really are alive, God. You're alive, Jesus. You're not a story in a book. You're coming back. Way back in John's, when he's writing Revelation, the last chapter of Revelation, the last three paragraphs, he starts the paragraph saying, Behold, I'm coming quickly. That's what Jesus says to him. He was wanting to take a posture in the people ever since then to now. God, you're coming. I want to be ready. I want to be watchful. I don't want to be given to so many of these things. Not inherently evil. Not inherently evil to watch TV or go to a football game. I do it. I have hobbies. God loves hobbies. I believe it. But what's the priority? What's dictating your life? What are you giving yourself over to? That's the gauge. What, what do you wake up thinking about? There's moments in my life where I wake up, Jesus, thank you for this day, Father. Look at this. Ten years ago, I was doing the worst stuff. 
And now I have three beautiful children. I got a home, God. Oh, who does this, God? There's no one like you. Nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted me around. If they did, like my mother locking the door and putting her purse under the pillow. True story. God saw something. He sees something in us. In that song, he sees the depths of our heart and he loves us the same. What amazing reality that Jesus sees the garbage, but he's saying, I want you. Oh, I want all of you. Don't feel like you've got to get perfect before you come. Come today. I'll get you perfect. It's not up to you to change your heart. I'll change it. Come to me. Don't bring just your garments. Bring your heart. Don't just make everything on the outside look good. So when I come here and Daryl sees me or Jordan or Bethany so it looks right. I want God to see me. I want to be real, guys. I'm no different. No preacher ever standing before you is any different. We need to be hungry for God and we need to dictate our lives about every choice we make. There is a reality in God that He is coming. Alan Hood said it in one word. He wouldn't be preaching a message on it last night. He says, Jesus is coming back. And I said, man, they had some revelation on it for me. Why do I get accustomed with that reality? How is it even possible that I can get used to Jesus is coming back on a horse with fire in his eyes and faithfulness wrapped down his leg and he's coming with vengeance and to deliver his people. It's okay to get excited. God's coming back. Are you going to be ready? It's not about, guys, I yell. Hey, if I was whispering, it's the same truth. I love it. Jesus is, is I, I get passionate. It's okay. Please look past it if it turns you off. Jesus loves you. He loves me. And he wants all of you. I'm not trying to belabor it, but I just think there's something on this reality right now that God's just going a little deeper with people. With. So it's okay, right? Are we okay with it? You can just keep on. It's just, it's all, if you're hungry, just open your hands. We're just going to wait a minute. There's more to life. There's more to life than relationships, than work. There's more to life than ministry. more life than making it by and paying the bills. God's declared His faithfulness to you. As you look back, did you ever, as you walked with God and gave your life to God, did He ever neglect you? Did you ever go hungry? We, we sometimes will get an idealistic view of God or who we think we, He should be because He's a God of love, but it doesn't always line up with who He is. But I tell you, there's wisdom in this process. There's wisdom with what He carries us through. There's a plan for you. The words that were spoken to your mind and to your heart, they were not untrue. They were true. I want to tell you that again and again. God has spoken to you. 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 Today's the day. We're going to switch it. Today's the day. God, you've spoken to us. God, your word is true. You love us, God. God, you are coming with power, God. Oh, revival's in our midst, God. Stir me up. I don't want to be one that gets caught in the tide. I want to be one that brings the tide, God. Oh, I'm hungry for you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. There's more to life, God. We're going to stand in eternity before Him. We're going to live, and I tell you, your choices that you make today will determine how you live for forever and eternity with Him. There's a reward system that goes beyond acceptance or not acceptance in heaven. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. You're saved, but you know what Paul said? There's a reward system. God sees every little choice of your heart that's done in secret. 
Let me tell you, He sees it when you turn that off. He sees it when you said no. He sees it when you said yes to Him. Oh, He loves Him. His heart beams. He said, oh, don't worry, daughter. Don't worry, son. Your reward's coming. Oh, so it might not be in this day. You'll, you'll taste the measure of it, God. You'll taste the measure, daughter. You'll taste the measure of it, son. But there is so much more. There is so much more for you. Oh, just wait and see. Oh, I know that the trouble's lasting for the day. But tomorrow, there's a day coming you will stand. No pain, no sorrow. There's, there's a day that's coming where I will fulfill every desire of your heart. Hold on. Yes, I'm the God of the breakthrough. But, but hold on. But hold on. I think it's one of the greatest revelations that God's the God of the breakthrough. But He's more after us finding rest before the breakthrough even comes. He's after your heart. He's after my heart. God, I don't understand why you were doing... I was. I came in early to prepare for this message and my friend called me. I hadn't talked to him in months. And he talked to me for two hours about why isn't God moving? And emotions are so real and attached to situations. And I'm not trying to downplay the stress that comes and the hardship that can try to encompass our minds. But that's what God wants for you in the hardest of circumstances. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to laugh. He wants you to find contentment sitting on His lap. He doesn't have some big agenda. His agenda is you. That's why He left glory to come to you and to receive you and to take you. While you were still sinners, He died for you. Come on, if there's one thing we can take tonight, meditate on that truth. He's worth it all. It's one of the most consistent prayers I think needs to come from our lives. God, you're worthy of it all, but you're worth it all. Everything you care, because when we're seeing right, rightly, we can go through any circumstance. And we know there's an end. We know there's glory. It's, it says that our hardships are actually gaining for us an eternal weight of glory. He doesn't say, yeah, your hardship's happening now for two months, but don't worry, you reap what you sow. Two months from now, there's going to be breakthrough and God's going to overdo your wildest dreams and and give you all the money you ever wanted. Hey, he does that stuff. Trust me, I've seen it. But he's not, that's not his main concern. To the end, God. Let's just stand up. God's presence here to mark hearts. Because I believe that we pray prayers like this.